This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
Welcome to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. We just enjoyed a performance by 14-year-old André Previn Peck of Frederick Chopin's Scherzo No. 3 in C-sharp minor. We're coming to you today from the Twin Cities. Minneapolis and St. Paul sit at the confluence of three rivers, the Mississippi, the Minnesota, and the St. Croix, in the great state of Minnesota. As you will soon hear, this area is not lacking for musical talent, nor institutions that support classical music, including the Minnesota Orchestra, the Schubert Club, and the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. We can only offer you a small sample of this rich terrain, but hopefully it will tempt you to come and see for yourself one day. We're recording today at Minnesota Public Radio. We have a studio full of accomplished young musicians, from an oboist who will be playing a new piece by Rena Esmail based on different breathing patterns commonly used in yoga, to a cellist who will grace us with the lyricism of Foray, but confesses that she's been honing her rhythmic skills playing Metallica and ACDC with her rock band. Let's begin our show with 14-year-old Andre Previn Peck, who we just heard playing that beautiful Chopin. Wow. That was thrilling. Thanks. What's going through your mind as you play those final few lines of music? Well, triumphant is the number one word I would use to describe it. The entire piece, like the whole stormy stuff, is all C-sharp minor. Mm -hmm. And then it just suddenly ends in C-sharp major, and it's just like a victory. It's just so refreshing to hear the final chord strike. C-sharp minor is a key that we encounter quite a lot at the piano, what do you associate with C-sharp minor? I would say C-sharp minor it has the most variety for all of the keys. Mm. Recently, I played Chopin Nocturne, Opus 27, number one, which mm-hmm. is also in C-sharp minor, and it's polar opposites with this scherzo. That's true. I feel like with D minor, it's always like kind of a sad, grieving key, but with C-sharp minor, you can kind of make anything out of it. I do think there's a brooding quality to C-sharp minor when I think about the Moonlight Sonata and the Chopin Nocturne you mentioned, and then even this kind of storminess in this scherzo. What about those beautiful, glistening, shimmering arpeggios, or they're not really arpeggios, but you know the passage I'm talking about. That might be my favorite part of this whole piece. What do those passages mean to you when you play them? So I once had a lesson at a piano festival, and my teacher gave me the best analogy. The chords that have the main melody, they're the chorale, they're singing. And then the little glistening things going down, Mm -hmm. that's like the angels singing, glittering in the air. Can you play just that chorale for me one time and let us all think about that image? so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, at 14 years old, do you ever think about how lucky we are to be musicians and bring poetry like that into existence? Yeah, it occurs to me every day that it's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not like a tangible thing. It's not like a set in stone technique. There's so many different interpretations and like feelings that you can invoke yeah. by playing. Yeah. 
have you been playing Chopin's music for a long time? Yeah, so I have. This piece, and then the Chopin Nocturne I mentioned, and then the second Ballade. I've been playing for three years, and I've brought it into quite a few places. I was in Fort Worth, I was in Nashville recently, and now I'm here for mm. this recording. What do you love about Chopin's music? I think that his works were genius. He could just invoke emotion. Even in his first etude, Mm -hmm. It's basically just chords, but he managed to write it so it portrays a lot of things. Yeah. Obviously, the mastery that we just witnessed from you, it takes a lot of practice. Has your practice routine been changing at all in these past few years? You've been taking on more and more difficult repertoire. Kind of yes, kind of no. I started this like more difficult repertoire. It was right around the time that I switched to my current teacher. Mm-hmm. And he has a really structured practicing form, which is really nice. That really helped me like get better at technical passages and then also like playing really varied ranges of dynamics. But I think my practicing has mostly changed since I read a book. It's called The Talent Code. I don't remember who it's by. Okay. But it really mentions a lot about deep practicing. Deep practicing. Yeah. It says like the 10,000 hours to master something isn't really enough. It's more you have to practice it really well. You have to do, like, really slow practicing. So it wires your myelin sheath, a part of your brain that impacts skill building. Your myelin sheath. I don't know exactly, like, where it is in the brain. But basically, by doing deep practicing, it reinforces the myelin sheath, which makes it easier to learn stuff more quickly and Mm. pick up skills faster. So not even just skills at the piano? No, it can help with everything. So you're saying the more deep practice you put in at the keyboard, the faster you can learn any skill anywhere. Yeah. Okay, everyone listening, it's just another example of how valuable studying a musical instrument can be. You mentioned that your teacher has been working with you on a specific approach to practicing. Really specific. Uh, So using a metronome, we have like a six notches practice an 11 notches practice, and then a four notches practice. Break this down for me. Yeah, this is amazing. So four notches is kind of when I've already like gotten pretty good technically at all of the passages. So it's kind of more maintenance. Six notches is what I would normally do. Does that number four or six, what, what is it's, that referring to? It's four to? repetitions. Oh, four repetitions yeah. with the metronome. Yeah. In between each repetition is a different amount of notches. Ah, yeah. I see. So four is for maintenance, six is your go-to, and then is 11 when a piece is kind of yeah. newer? Like, in the end of the scherzo I just played, yeah, I would pretty much always do 11 notches of practicing because wow. it's mm-hmm. really technically challenging. Yeah, that requires a lot of patience. <laughs> is that something you ever struggle with? In the past few years, I've gotten exponentially better with just controlling my emotions and not getting fed up with things too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I also understand, Andre, that you've built a somewhat unique school structure for yourself. Can you describe how that works? Yeah, so I'm a freshman and I only take half of the day at the high school. The second half of the day, my mom or my dad or somebody picks me up and Mm -hmm. they take me to my local university. Mm-hmm. And then I take two classes there, Calc 3 and a computer design class. Are you enjoying that? Yeah. Well, generally, I like it because I get to skip like half an hour of the school day. <laughs> I don't have to be at school for the other time. And then also, yeah, it challenges me. It makes it more interesting 
What about your family, Andre? Any of them musicians? I don't have any musicians in my immediate family. I am second cousins with Andre Previn, the conductor. You know, I was going to ask because your name, of course, is Andre Previn Peck. It seemed like that couldn't just be a coincidence. Yeah, no, it's not a coincidence. Wow. Did you ever get a chance to meet your namesake? I didn't. I do wow. remember the day that he died. I was still, like, pretty young. I knew he was a pretty big person in the music community. Huge, yeah, yeah. huge. And I knew he was related to me, but I didn't know him at all. Right, so it's kind right. of like I don't know how to react to it. Yeah, well, no, I, I get that. And there's never like one correct way to react. I don't think that being related to him impacted me being a musician. Mostly just I saw my dad playing piano at just like a music store. Hmm. And then I wanted to try. And then my parents just took me to a local teacher, David Reedy. Hmm. And then he just taught me and he guided me for like three or four years until I drove up here for lessons. It takes a ton of self-discipline to get to this level. Where do you think your self-discipline comes from? I think it definitely comes from my mother. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, she's my number one supporter when it comes to music. She's the one who takes me up for lessons and she really helps me with pretty much everything. She's the one who's basically trained like my patients to mm. be better. Mm. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Andre, thank you so much for your music and for the great chat. I feel like I'm going to get to hear more and more of you over the next years, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, thanks. Thanks, Andre. Andre Previn Peck, 14 years old, from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Next, we'll be treated to fantastic cellist, 15-year-old Sophia Alexander from Minneapolis, Minnesota. She and I will perform Gabriel Fauré's Après en Rêve. Sophia, welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, what is this song about and what does it mean to you? This song is about waking up after dreaming of a loved one that has passed. Mm. It's a melancholy kind of piece and I love the way you play it. Whenever you're ready, let's take it from the top.
You heard 15-year-old cellist Sophia Alexander from Minneapolis perform Gabriel Fauré's Après en Rêve. I'm Peter Dugan. I was joining her on the piano. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Sophia, that was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. I've loved this piece for many, many years, and playing it with you just now reminded me why. You brought so much heart to it. Tell me what draws you to this piece. This piece obviously is super beautiful. The topic of the piece, which deals with the death of a loved one, is not something I've experienced, but I can almost like empathize with other people through the music. Mm-hmm. After a Dream by Foray, originally for voice, how would you summarize the heart of this poem? Well, it's really sad because when you wake up after the dream, like you aren't with that person anymore but then at the same time you can like still be with that person in your dreams in your dreams yeah Yeah. what I love about how you play this piece is you bring together the happy and the sad you know I hear both of those emotions do you always look for a story in any music that you play or is it specific to this one because it has that poetry as the basis I would say that even if there's like not lyrics to the song, it's still really essential to find a story. And it doesn't necessarily have to match exactly what the composer is thinking. It has to mean something to you specifically. Mm -hmm. And how do you go about finding that story? Definitely learning about what the composer had intended and trying to connect the feelings. Try to connect that to something that I can maybe relate to better. Mm. It was more helpful when I'm thinking about it more personally. Yeah. Sophia, we have to congratulate you now for a win that you had recently with the Greater Twin Cities Youth Symphony. Yeah. Tell me about it. So uh, last year, I was selected as the winner of the Young Soloist Competition for Greater Twin Cities Youth Symphonies called Gitsies. I had the opportunity to play Lalo's Cello Concerto Mm. with the orchestra. What did it feel like to have that opportunity to be up in front of the orchestra with all your friends and your peers. It was really, really, really cool. I have never had the experience of playing with an orchestra before that. Mm. Being able to do it alongside most of my best friends was the coolest part. Do you remember anything that your friends said to you during the process, either before or after the concert? I remember right after I found out that I won, my sister ran backstage and hugged me. So making music seems to be a very social thing. Is that where a lot of the joy comes in for you? Yeah, I think definitely all the friends that I've made through it is one of the most important things. And tell me about your love affair with the cello specifically. How did that begin? When I was four years old, my mom would take me to kinder concerts through Mm -hmm. the Minnesota Orchestra. And Mm -hmm. very soon after, I started playing cello and have liked it ever since. As we grow as musicians, we look for people who inspire us. Who are some of those people for you? In addition to my friends, I really look up to Johannes Moser. He's a cellist. I actually had the opportunity to participate in a master class with him over the summer. Oh, nice. He's my favorite cellist of all time. And it was really, really amazing to actually get to like play in front of him. What did you learn from him? The most important person in the room doesn't have to speak the loudest. I really learned Mm. that like I don't need to force the sound out of my cello. Yeah. Is classical music the only music in your life right now? No, I also participate in a group called Cello Rock. We play all sorts of music, mainly from the 80s. What kinds of bands are you covering? A lot of Michael Jackson and 
ACDC and even like Metallica. Nice. Yeah. Obviously, you're someone who loves sharing music with people. That's been clear from getting to know you. What do you get out of playing in a rock band of, I assume it's all cellists? Mm -hmm. So what does that bring you? Yeah, in addition to being really, really fun and something I look forward to, it transfers a lot of skills over to orchestral playing because rhythms and stuff don't appear as often in classical music, but you can get really comfortable with them. So going back to orchestra feels a lot easier. Right. Can you give me a bar or two of one of your go-to rock tunes from your cello rock band? Sure. Yes. Yeah. What is that from? That's from Master of Puppets. That's a Metallica song, right? Yeah. And you're like... That's great. I want to hear it with all the cellists. Sophia, you play so beautifully. Thanks for sharing your musicianship with us today, and thanks for being with me. Thanks so much for this opportunity. It was really fun. Sophia Alexander, 15 years old, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From BritBox, where viewers can stream new seasons of British detective series, including Vera, Father Brown, Death in Paradise, and more. Available at BritBox.com NPR. And from the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing transformative youth and criminal justice reforms. If you're just joining us, this is From the Top, coming to you from the Twin Cities, the home of Minnesota Public Radio, the folks that brought you the brilliance of Prairie Home Companion and Live From Here. I'm your host, Peter Dugan, and I'm sitting at the piano ready for our next young musician, 15-year-old trumpeter Christian Garner from Minnetonka, Minnesota. Christian, welcome to From the Top. Hi. We're going to be playing a great trumpet piano sonata together. What's the title of this? Uh, The piece is the Kent Kennan Sonata for Trumpet. Great. Well, whenever you're ready, let's take it from the top. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. Let's go.
15-year-old Christian Garner from Minnetonka, Minnesota, performed the first movement of Kent Kennan's Sonata for Trumpet and Piano. I'm Peter Dugan, and I was at the piano. Kennan was a 20th century American composer who received the American Academy of Arts and Letters Prix de Rome in music composition in 1936. This is standard repertoire for trumpets, right, Christian? Yes, it's very popular. And you have a versatile array of trumpets with you right now. What are these different instruments here in front of us? Today I brought three trumpets. The one that I used for the Sonata was a B-flat trumpet, the most standard instrument. That's the first trumpet that you get. Most things are run for a B-flat trumpet. That's kind of like your baseline standard trumpet. And then what's next to that? The next trumpet is a C trumpet used for orchestral stuff. And there's also the piccolo, which is a really small trumpet used for stuff in the really high register. Mm-hmm. It makes flexibility up there a lot easier. Mm. It's used in Baroque music quite a bit, right? Yeah. Can I hear what the piccolo trumpet sounds like? Sure. Cool. I can play a blossom, which is a really old piece of music. That's the name of the composer? Well, we don't know the composer's name. Oh, okay. Because the piece of music was found on a painting. There's a portrait of Bach's trumpet player, and he was holding a piece of music. We don't know, did the painter paint that piece of music, or is it Bach's music? We just don't know. This is incredible. This is like real-life Da Vinci Code. So there's a piece of music that the only source is the painting itself, and no one has any other resource for where this piece came from. No. Wow. Okay. I, now I really want to hear it. All hail Christian Garner, the 15-year-old trumpeter from Minnetonka, Minnesota. That is the most joyful sound I've heard in a long time, the sound of you playing that on the piccolo trumpet. So the name of the painter, I believe, is Hausman, and the trumpeter Gottfried Reicha. So for those at home interested in learning more about this mysterious and incredibly beautiful trumpet fanfare, Google it. What a fascinating origin, and I loved hearing you play it. What's the most difficult thing about playing the trumpet? Chops. Like, having to play for a long time. So trumpet players, wind players all talk about chops. What do you mean when you talk about chops? Endurance. Endurance. Like, that's what a lot of trumpet playing is about. Being able to play and not get super tired. It's related to your embouchure. The shape that your mouth makes. Yeah, When a trumpet player gets tired, like, you just can't play as high or playing really controlled, soft things gets harder. How do you practice that? How do you build endurance? A really great way is playing really soft stuff. I play Clark Technical Studies really softly Hmm. and build some endurance rather than, like, playing a lot getting tired. How do you know when to stop? Well, when you get tired, it's not going to be much better. Just keep going. Right. Makes sense. Christian, I just love the way you play the trumpet, the discipline you bring to the instrument. You're only in ninth grade. I can't wait to see where your career takes you. And thanks for being with us today. Thanks. Christian Garner, 15 years old from Minnetonka, Minnesota. 
Are you craving more From the Top? We've got you covered. Listen to extended interviews on the From the Top podcast. Watch exceptional musical performances on From the Top daily joy videos. And discover opportunities to meet From the Top in person. Find this and more on our website. Visit fromthetop.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. From BritBox, with the goal of helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original series Archie, The Man Who Became Cary Grant, streaming at britbox.com NPR. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. The new podcast, Landslide. The forgotten story of how a presidential race led to today's parties and division. Winning the presidency is the most important thing, but how much do you do to win it? Landslide, part of the NPR Network. Subscribe now. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.